Isn't it great to hear from each other? What, what a special time each week being able to uh, talk to others who love the Lord Jesus, and we're just glad to be able to gather together and be able to do that. But we also have the privilege when we come to the Word of God or to church to hear from the Word of God. In just a couple of moments, uh, Pastor Dale is going to be uh, opening up this passage of Scripture. If you'd like, read it on the wall behind me as I'm uh, reading it here. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, and he placed them uh, his hands on them, and he blessed them. And it goes on and says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have the treasure of heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much as his pre in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the ages to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I want to hear what he has to say. God bless you. <laughs> me too. Thanks, Lamar. Lisa and I were uh, recently um, cleaning out a few storage places in our carport. We don't have a garage, we just have a carport, which also uh, minimizes the amount of things you can save, right? And so when I had a garage, I was an amazing saver of everything. And so as we were reorganizing these boxes and, you know, Christmas stuff, fall stuff, there's this box that just says Dale's stuff. And I'm like, I get one box. 
and um, which is okay. Like I just, just kind of like in my head, like whatever's in this box is fine because this is my one box compared to all of these Christmas boxes and Anna's boxes that are still at our house, even though she is married and left her home and whatever. Jacob, they're coming to your house, bro. It's just like stacking them up. I peeked open the box lid of Dale's stuff, and in this box is like comic books <laughs> and like baseball cards and like uh, newspaper clippings of the Niners when they won the Super Bowl like 30 years ago. And, and I'm like, yeah, these, these are things I all need. So I put the lid back on and just put it right back in the shed. Don't judge me. One day those baseball cards are going to be worth a No, they're not. You know, we all have probably uh, physical mementos of things, most likely, that you keep, that mean something to you, that bring back a memory, something you hold on to. And I think just as there's physical memories of things, we also collect maybe ideologies or how we align our life for the things that we believe are really important because they provide some kind of assurance, comfort, and even some kind of self-interpreted salvation, if you will. What's tough is when these things get lodged in us, almost like a barbed hook that becomes very painful when we try to unlodge it. And we start saying things like this. Um, I'm on the correct side of this. I'm on the correct side of history. I like asking myself questions, so I'm like, well, how do I know if I have this view that I'm correct and other people aren't? Well, I guess I could ask myself, how do I feel about people who disagree with me? Are they correct? Sometimes we do this with opinions that aren't really a right or wrong. They're just an opinion or a feeling. But we create them into be something different than they really are. Sometimes it's a little subtle. Maybe it could be like we're reading about the impending financial insecurities of our country or where we are. Or when you read about the brokenness in governmental structures or you feel about the views of society, what is your response? Is it, well, I should be okay because I have made the correct financial decisions. I have the correct life choices and my opinions in this cultural moment are on point. I'm in that sweet spot where no matter what happens, I should be fine. But yet, if we're honest, Privately, we wonder. We wonder privately. If that's the case, I think you might align yourself with the center of the story today about a man. I've grown up in church. I've grown up hearing stories about this man. And so often, the story I've heard is that this man had a problem, and it was his money. So give away all your money, and you won't have any problems. I think that is a butchering of what's happening in this story. Father, I pray for your help. I pray for your dislodging of any barbed hooks we may have. Help us to see things as you see things, Jesus. Help us to see you clearly today. In your name, amen. I think we get a good indication of uh, people. I think I get a pretty good indication of people by the questions they ask, 
the kinds of questions you ask, or if you ask no questions at all, I think it's almost like a portal into your soul. In an article in the Harvard Business Review, we read this. For some people, questioning comes easily. Their natural inquisitiveness, emotional intelligence, and ability to read people put the ideal question on the tip of their tongue. But most of us don't ask enough questions, nor do we pose our inquiries in an optimal way. The good news is that by asking questions, we naturally improve our emotional intelligence, which in turn makes us better questioners. It's kind of a virtuous cycle. In another kind of observation, in her New York Times best-selling book, You Just Don't Understand, Deborah Tannen makes these observations about men and women, which you may or may not, may or may not agree with. She wrote this. Men tend to see the purpose of many interpersonal conversations as negotiating for status in the social hierarchy, which they do by exhibiting knowledge and skill and holding center stage through verbal performance, such as storytelling, joking, or imparting information. You're like, so? In contrast, women tend to use conversation to develop connections, exploiting questions to discover similarities and matching experiences. That's why we do this a lot, maybe, in our conversations. I think a lot of us know that asking questions is a good thing, but sometimes there are some statements that are nested in these questions. Sometimes questions can just kind of be outright hurtful, right? Things like, wow, that outfit you're wearing, is that still in style? <laughs> or, Huh, are you self-conscious about your teeth? Well, now I am. <laughs> Here's my point. The questions we ask, the words we say, reveal deeper things. There's something behind it. What do you see in these questions as they jump out? As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. At this point, as readers of this, we do not know much about this man unless you've read other gospels in scripture. But if you were just grabbing this document, you don't really know much about this man. All we know is that he ran up he ran to him, he fell on his knees, he claimed out to him. It kind of sounds like the words of a worship song, doesn't it? I ran to you, Jesus, I fell on my knees before you. I'm in a posture. But then he opened his mouth. Good teacher, he says. What must I do? This man is not at risk because of the questions he asked. They just reveal things about him. It's almost like a spiritual MRI of like, there's no really getting over these things. Jesus questions and answers his, questions his responses about his words, but also here's some of the results. Here's the moral condition of your soul. Jesus answers, what do you mean, good? What do you mean by that? I guess it's kind of like saying your posture tells me that you think I can help you. 
So who do you really think I am? There's an engagement here. Very similar to our engaging. Conversation continues. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You should honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Like a probe that tries to reveal deeper issues and maybe in a, uh, um, like in medical investigation. Or like I said, like an MRI or x-rays or let's see what's really going on. Jesus is saying it's more about your physical posture. It's more about the words that you're using. It's interesting that Jesus jumps to these commandments. Which ones is he asking him about? There's a lot of don'ts in here. They're all about human relationships, though, right? He's like, don't take the life of another person. Don't take the wife of another person. Don't take the possessions of another person. Don't lie about another. Don't defraud each other. And then he's like, I just love that there was in the, and make sure you honor your father and your mother. The questions he asks him is around how are your human relationships? What's, going, what's really happening in your life? I see how you're approaching me. How are you with others? What's interesting at this point is the man now takes the description of good off of his reference to Jesus, and he just calls him teacher. I've done all these things. I've never done anyone harm. It's almost like he's a little defensive here. And if the story ended here, we would be convinced, wouldn't we? There's a lot of good things for this man. I haven't done any of these bad things. I've stayed away from them all. I've never been bad to anybody else. I don't harm people. I followed the rules. I'm on my knees before you, Jesus. I ran to you so everybody knows how excited I am to see you. We'd be convinced of a lot of things, especially but how we interpret love and God's interaction with love. Because Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, there's a nuance here to Jesus loved him. We're not told why Jesus said this. We're not told whether uh, Jesus loved him because he was obedient. Doesn't come up. We're not told that Jesus loved him because of his posture. Wow, you have great posture. You're kneeling before me. We're just told that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I remember hearing this story so many times when I was a kid. That phrase was never emphasized. It was more about the man walked away because he was rich and felt bad. This past week, or maybe two weeks ago, I was sitting on a bench with a friend. He's a friend that, he's one of my closest friends. We've had so many conversations over the years. We disagree about almost everything in this life, yet I love him deeply. So often I just ask questions. He's basically in control of how the conversation starts and how the conversation ends, or just how much I can really kind of push him on certain things. So when he hurts, I tell him that I love him. 
When I'm proud of him, I tell him that before the pressure builds. I often tell him, I am so happy that you're in my life. You know the typical manly things men say to each other. <laughs> it's actually very disarming to him. And so he gives me these massive hugs that kind of break my ribs time to time. The other day he said to me, Gus, that's what he calls me, I'm on a bit of a spiritual, new spiritual journey. Which, my friend, this could mean so many things. So I said, oh, would you like to tell me more about this spiritual journey that you're on? He's like, I'm trying to come to grips with something that I saw this weekend at a wedding. You see, a mutual friend of mine and his um, had come after a, I would say, a morally, um, I don't know, this guy was, let's just say he was all over the place for a long time in his life and made all sorts of interesting decisions, had come to Jesus. And suddenly his wedding was about Jesus and was about devotion and was about praise. And so my friend who I was sitting on the bench with went to this and he's like, how could a person who once was like that now be like this? How does that happen? I started to answer him, but he wasn't really that interested in my answer. Then he jumped to, I think there's something after this life. Too many people are seeing the same thing or saying the same thing. There has to be something to that. So I started to respond to that, and then he mentioned something about hallucinogenics, and I just disagreed with that piece, so I just didn't bite on that one, and I just kind of let him finish. And I go, let's go back to the journey you're on. It's 2023, and he just said, I've lived my life for so long like this, and people count on me for this. I'm the go-to for people in this area, in this area, in this area. If I was to now do and follow Jesus, I'd have to give all of that up, but that's what people are counting on me for. How do you do that? And I said, well... And then he got up and walked away. <laughs> but he walked away a little slunched. He walked away a little heavier. He walked away with this kind of cloud on him. I could see the weight on him. You see, that's the story of this man who ran up to Jesus. He's like, how do I change who I have been my whole life for everybody and the people that are counting on me to be that? My friend's story is the story of this man before Jesus. He knew something was missing. This man thought he was in a great standing with God. He just needed to ensure himself of his future a little bit. The story now turns. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me at this man's fit at this the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god the disciples were amazed at his words but jesus said again children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of god it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, then who, who can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible to God. For a few moments, let me talk about the money, the man, the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. The money. I figured we might as well talk about money, because last week we talked about divorce, and the week before that we talked about cutting your hands off and gouging out your eyes, so it's the great trifecta of teaching. Jesus did it, so Lord help me. Jesus talks about money often, a lot. Just kind of debate whether he talked about money the most or not the most, but he talked about money a lot. And in this circumstance, it's easy just to kind of soften his words and go, hmm, I think what he really meant was just don't be greedy too much. Because we can all align ourselves pretty well with that. But I think what he said is so much more poignant than that. You see, money is often used to, find, to fund our self-salvation project. What do I mean by that? Because we look to things so often to be our savior and our Lord. And when we look to something to bring us comfort and security, it often becomes what we worship. Let's just be honest. It has the attention of our heart. Now I want you to hear this. It's not that we love money. I'm not saying that. Like, it's not just that we love money for money's sake. It just allows us to go and get the things that we do love. It just enlarges the numbers on our bake statement, which tells us, oh, you're okay. It just becomes a portal sometimes of family approval, like, son, I am so proud of you. Look how well you're doing. We had nothing, and look at you now. But here's the thing. All of those things can be good things, right? It's life and safety and approval. I've just found that they just make really lousy gods. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with safety. There's nothing wrong with, man, I feel like someone's approving of me. There's nothing inherently wrong about how life could be. They just make lousy gods. These verses may seem familiar to you, as Paul wrote to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what we really do is when we stand weekly and do our generosity creed, what we are doing is taking a stance against lousy gods. That's really what we're doing. It is not something we say to be a fundraiser. It is not something we say, so you pledge to give to the church. My heart is so far away from that. It is simply to say, we make a stand against the lousy gods of this world and direct our heart to the one God who really does care about us. Notice the phrase, pierced with many griefs. This is the exact same word in Greek that the man experienced when he says he walked away sad. It was grief. He was grieving. 
He grieved because that's what false gods do to us. They pierce us, and then we grieve, and they feel no remorse at all. The second thing that I think that money does, and I've seen this, is that money privileges people to a kind of perceived righteousness. There's almost like this, oh, God, I'm so thankful I have so much money that I have time to serve a little extra at church while other people have to work. And while that is a blessing, maybe, or that's an opportunity you have, which is fine, but it's almost like, oh, I get to do a lot more. See, money can fool us into thinking we're more righteous than others. The ideology that money indicates righteousness exactly is why the disciples were shocked. The thought at that time, and some would say remains at this time, is that the better you did, it was just a reward for God saying, your morality is on point. The disciples were amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? If this guy can't be saved, he's good, he's powerful, he's wealthy, he's obviously blessed. Who can go through to the kingdom of God? The man. What was this man's struggle? What was causing him to stumble, if you will, from a few weeks ago? It seems to me that this man's struggle was his goodness. Now, you're like, that's crazy. How can goodness be the man's struggle? Goodness was his God. I followed the rules. I did things that are right. I even approached you, Jesus, as the good teacher. But Jesus exposes him, I just can't be just your teacher. This man is focused on what can I do? This man is focused on how do I earn my way? The man's answer, what good thing can I do to fix what's missing? But there's this nagging lack. He knows there's something missing. And Jesus knows what he lacks. So he tells him. Do you ever feel the lack? I mean, you may not feel the lack. You may not go, oh, there's something missing. What I often sometimes will experience is not just, oh, there's something missing, but there's something just not right. I don't have peace. The inner angst in my heart just seems to be a little off, like I'm doing all the things, but something's just off. You see, anyone who counts on what they're doing to get eternal life will find that in spite of everything they've accomplished, there is an emptiness, an insecurity, a doubt, something is bound to be missing. Because how can anyone ever know when they're good enough? As Dallas Willard writes, much of our effort to do things for the Lord is really the resurgence of our desire to dominate and make things happen in our own strength. That one is really fun to meditate on right there. This is just honesty. Am I really doing this for the Lord or out of goodness? You see, we've talked about this before. Justification, our coming to faith in God, is something that comes from the outside into us, from God to us. It's a gift from God. That is the point of our salvation. Sanctification, what the Holy Spirit does, is something in us that goes out. 
And like all of humanity, this man gets this mixed up. He believes who he is has saved him. And he doesn't realize that his actions don't actually address what he's experiencing on the inside. Jesus continues and hears this phrase, and I remember hearing this phrase as a kid. I didn't know what to do. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. In other words, Jesus says to him, of course you shouldn't commit adultery. Of course you shouldn't murder people. Of course you shouldn't do bad things. But if you just repent of doing bad things, all that will do is make you a religious person. Do we get that? If all you do is repent of the bad in your life, all that's going to do is make you more religious. Because if you want intimacy with God, if you want to get over that nagging sense, there's still something missing. But maybe you can't identify what, what's missing. You have to change how you relate to the very gifts God has given you. You have to repent of how you've been using the things God has given you. Jesus is saying to the man in this passage this. You have put your faith and trust in your wealth and accomplishments, but this effort is alienating you from God. Right now, God is your boss, but God is not your savior. And here's how you can see it. I want you just to imagine life without money. I want you to imagine all of it gone. No inheritance, no inventory, no servants, no mansions. All of that is gone. And all you have is me. And you live like that. This man, they were so impressed with. They were so excited this guy was running up to Jesus because they're like, this man has it all. Some of you are like, well, why would God love me and ask me to do that? How would you respond? This man was grieved. This is significant. Grieved. We see it uh, piercing hearts with pierces many griefs around money. This man was grieved. Jesus knew what grief was. He knew it was coming. Same word, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it said that Jesus grieved so much that he started to sweat blood. Why? Part of it was he knew the physical pain that was coming, but I really believe the grieving Jesus experiences because he was about to lose his father. When Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man too started to grieve because money for this young man was the father for Jesus. Jesus looked at this man and said, this is the center of your identity. It does not care about you. So when Jesus said it's really hard for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom, he knew firsthand how hard it is to let go of the thing that has anchored himself into you. For this man, to lose his money would have been to lose himself, to lose what little sense he had of covering the stain. But to be honest, this wasn't just about money, even if money at all. It's really what's behind it. 
the questions begin to escalate to the kingdom entrance. It's one thing to have God as your boss, an example, a mentor, but if you want God to be your savior, you have to replace what you're already counting on as your savior and have me fill that spot. Everybody's got something. What is it for you? You see, this young man's problem was not his financial worth. It really was his moral worth. It's his sense that he doesn't need the grace of God. That's the gap. Do you need the grace of God? How do you know, or maybe how do I know, if money's doing the same thing to us? couple questions I sometimes ask myself when I give money away, do I want to control it, how it's going to be spent? Might be a sign. Or I don't want to give it away because I get scared when I have less than I'm accustomed to having. Or you see people who are doing better than you, then even though you might have worked harder or be a better person, it kind of gets under your skin a little bit. When these things are there, you might have one foot in the trap because it's no longer a tool, it's a scorecard. This man is referred to as the rich young ruler. Remember that verse, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Why was Jesus' heart so filled with love. Jesus, of course, is a loving man. We know that Jesus loves the world, but we don't see this a lot in the different stories. We don't all of a sudden see in the middle of this, and Jesus loved that man. Did Jesus' love come from like, wow, you have amazing leadership potential? <laughs> Was it because what the man said? I don't think so. Jesus at this point was probably 32, maybe 33 years old. Jesus was a young man. Jesus, too, was a rich man. He had everything, incomprehensible glory, wealth, love, and joy of the Trinity from all of eternity. He's already left that wealth behind. As the Apostle Paul said, he was rich, but for our sake he became poor. Jesus went into poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. Why? For me. For you. So Jesus simply looks at this man with love and says, will you join me in the letting go process? The pouring out. You see, Jesus doesn't ask any of us something that he hasn't already done himself. You see, Jesus, he is the ultimate rich, young ruler. Jesus looks at this man with such love and deep compassion because he's like, I faced this very thing that's in front of you right now. I know how hard it is. You might be, it was easy for Jesus because he knew the end. It was not. He was fully human and fully God. But praise the Lord, he didn't just hang on to things, but for our sake became poor. He simply is saying, 
Will you give away yours to get mine? I think a measure of understanding the generosity of Jesus, which was what I really think this story is about, it's not about one man's failure to be generous. I think Jesus is laying out, this is how generous I am. I think a measure of our understanding of generosity is what our response to the cross is. What does Jesus pouring out everything for you mean to you? What is Jesus pouring out everything? I think when it amazes you, when it makes you weep, when it really moves you, then you have a fighting chance to avoid the trap that this man was in. How often as humans we might be amazed if this guy all of a sudden says, I gave everything away. We'd be like, man, that guy is super godly. And Jesus is like, okay, now you. How about you? The reality is you can give money away or you can keep it. Could be depending on what's the best thing at the time. But here's the one thing I know. The only way I know to counteract the lousy gods that keep trying to find space in my life. They show up masked as comfort, as security, as wisdom, as the correct side of history. The only way I know how to counteract those things is to look at and emulate the ultimate rich young ruler, Jesus, who gave away everything. He did this to come after me and to come after you. He did this to rescue me and to rescue you, to love me and to love you. And when you think, this is just too much, I can't do it. I don't know how to change. He says to you, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Read that verse with me if you believe it, if you want to believe it. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Even the thing that you want to hang on to the most, it's possible to emulate the ultimate rich young ruler, Jesus Christ, who did not see regard, equality with God as something to be held on to, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you could know I spend a few minutes just quietly before God. It's in these moments I just trust the Spirit will move and work and how He wants to work in your mind. I think I know what the enemy might be saying to you, though. The pastor is telling you to give away your money. That's not what I'm saying. The pastor wants you to feel guilty for having money. That is not what I'm saying. The 
ask God, what is it that you have me here? I think there's some false gods who have taken residence in our hearts and our minds. A false God could be, I've always been this way. People count on me for these things. I need to continue in this reputation that I have. Jesus is like, no, you don't. Sometimes we get stuck in I'm correct or I am right or that my wise choice has got me to a better place. That is a barbed hook that is going to be painful to take out. But Jesus says, let it out. Some of us for so many years, like the disciples, are just so convinced this is what it is. If you're wealthy or you have things, God is blessing you. And if that person isn't in, who can be saved? And Jesus is like, the one who comes and follows me. This is why we take communion every single week is to stand up to the lousy gods of this world to receive the generosity of Jesus that he gave when he came and he died. He poured out everything for us so that we can actually receive. He's not saying, let me fit in the small little cracks in your life, but let me fill in the big spaces because you've let the false gods go. Some of you just need to let these false gods go today and that's what he's asking you to do. Some of you need to believe, God, I can't do this, but you can. We give this to you, Father. Help us to understand. I rebuke the words of the enemy trying to pull us away from this. It is all about what I can do to emulate you, Jesus. This isn't about my goodness. This isn't about my successes. It's simply practicing the generosity of you, Jesus, with my life, with my words, with my actions, with the gifts you've given me. God, help us. Every week we have space, we invite you to come and receive communion. Take the posture of receiving, not taking, not must what I do to receive, but I'm going to receive the generosity of Jesus into my hands. Be blessed. Remember that he came to give everything for us. I am so blinded by the things that I see, God sounds weird, blinded by what I see, but that's what blinds me. What's important now, what I hang on to now, all I can do, God, is come before you personally and say, help me. It is impossible in my own strength, but in your thing, all things are possible. When I think, how can I do this or what else? I can't let go. You can, you can do it because what you get is me. May I realize that there's nothing better than you. What more could I ask for than you? God, I pray for our church, my friends and family in here that I deeply love. As you have loved that man, help me to love each other, help us to love each other like that and see the heart, the heart 
need behind the things that we hang on to, but that our heart needs you. Help us, Father. Help us to see. Help us to, in our unbelief. We love you in your name. Amen. My encouragement for you is to ask the questions with God this week. What are you saying? How can I do this? What are some options? And then trust what you hear. Maybe you need some people to run this by. What is God saying to you? What is he saying to you? It's not what he's saying to that person. What is he saying to you? Because what we know is a God that loves you deeply and cares for you. Some of you just need to reread that verse as Jesus looked at that man and loved that man. Jesus is looking at you and goes, I love you. Don't let the enemy tell you, man, you failed here, 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 like whatever. Like, no, I love you because I see your future of what can happen. Do you want it? Let's do it. So God bless you. Have an amazing week. Spend some time just asking God, what is it that you have for me? All right. God bless you. I'm over here afterwards, probably sitting down and resting for a sec, but feel free to come over and say hi. Have an amazing, amazing day. God bless you.